Hi, everybody. What great news Pastor Rob just brought us about our church and the, the final weeks of the year. And also uh, something I'm so thrilled about is that in the month of December, over 100 people made decisions for Jesus Christ through our church. And you brought them here and... Uh, Maybe, maybe, and I hope maybe some of you that are sitting here are kind of new to church and this is a brand new deal for you and maybe you're just discovering Jesus. We're just so very full of gratitude to God. Now, I'm full of gratitude that I'm here today. Uh, two massive changes happened in our lives this weekend. Forty hours ago, Marie and I were in Southern California and the temperature was 75. We flew from L.A. coming into Chicago, and as we were coming in for the landing, the, the uh, pilots had wonderful news, we're going to land on time. The bad news is it's about seven degrees here, and so we knew what we were re-entering. Then as we got close to landing, we were about 200 feet or so off the ground on the landing. Suddenly you heard the roar of our engines, and the nose of that jet come up, and we just... Started soaring back into the sky. I, I have a, I've flown a million five hundred thousand miles in my life, literally, and I've never had that happen where you're about to land and then <laughs> those planes are like rockets when they go up in the air. Yeah. Well, what happened is because of all the congestion and fuel lines freezing, there was a plane on the end of the runway that we were coming into and we pulled out. So I'm just uh, glad to be alive today. My wife, Marie, and I are. Although I didn't think about heaven, I just wanted to make sure my trust was all in shape before we went. All right. Well, welcome. We start the new year and uh, we, we think about changes. And this is interesting because where we are at in the study of the life of David is this massive change moment for him. Okay? Let, just real quickly, let me take you back. Back in September, or when we started this series, we ran into this young shepherd boy in a muck job. Not what he hoped his career was going to be. He was a shepherd, paid the bills. And he's 16, 17 years of age. He's out there with the sheep every day, every night. We, we found out that he was an artist, songwriter, played guitar. They called it the lyre. Loved to write music. Uh, that was his real passion, was his art. And then suddenly he wins, he wins that world's edition of Israel Idol. He wins Israel Idol, and before he knows it, he's in the equivalent of Washington, D.C., and he's become the personal musician to the president of the country. His name was King Saul. David's got everything going for him now, from the fields to the throne room itself. Then we discovered that not only does he have this kind of artistic passion, he's kind of got this leadership skill stuff that goes on inside him. People naturally follow him. And then we find out he's got warrior capabilities too. We knew he was good because he, he's, he was a sniper in that world. He was the best of the snipers. It was the slingshot. Could take anybody down. Goliath really didn't have a chance. He was going down. Okay? Um, and because the sniper would get him. And then we find out that, G that David has all sorts of 
special forces capacity. He ends up leading the special forces of the nation of Israel. So he's musician, he's commander general of special forces, everything's going great, he's won Israel idol, Uh, he's adored, uh, all this is going good, but then the king of Israel gets jealous. Power does that, incidentally. One of the ways you know you have a power problem is if you find yourself struggling with jealousy of others. Yeah, jealousy and envy. Jealousy is when I want more. Envy is when I want others to have less. And King Saul had that, and suddenly David goes from the throne room to the outhouse, flees for his life, and where did we leave him before the Christmas series? We left him in caves in the wilderness where for 10 years, 12 years, he would be on the run for his life, living in caves. That's where we left David before Christmas. Then last week, Ted did a marvelous job of helping us be with David as he hears that King Saul and his best friend Jonathan are killed. The lament for Saul and Jonathan. It was a powerful message. I listened to it from California. Where does that take us today? Now we really start to see the full thing happen where David goes from the caves to now becoming the leader over a massive empire. That all starts today. And for the next three months or so, we'll take this right up to Easter on the life of David. Now, some of you might be saying, David, why? Uh, You know, a thousand years B.C., what does he have to do with my life? In fact, what does the Old Testament have to say, the time before Christ, Old Testament, what does that have to say to where I'm living in the year 2015? Well, just to remind you again, as we started this series, we said the following on this slide. This notion of David as shepherd, warrior, king, and sinner you're finding out that you've got more in common with him than you ever thought. And that time doesn't change the character of human beings. But then the next slide will show you that the Bible teaches us that whenever we're talking about the Old Testament, there are two great purposes in it. Old Testament, time before Christ. New Testament, time from Jesus on. In the Old Testament... All of it testifies about Jesus Christ and our need to come to him for life. Jesus Christ is David's son. Forty plus generations later, we call him David's greater son. And you'll see through David's life and through Moses and through Deborah and through Rahab and all the characters of the Old Testament, you'll get glimpses of who Jesus will be. Very important for us to see that. Secondly, however, the Old Testament provide examples of how and how not to live. Okay, you're going to see that this morning. How to live and how not to live. I found this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read it to you now. Now these things, Old Testament, occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in revelry. 
we should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them would die. That's during the time of Moses. We should not test Christ, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, our day, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So we study the Old Testament, two great reasons. One, to look for Christ everywhere. And two, to learn from their examples both how to live and how not to. Okay? Ready to go? David part two. He moves from the caves to the true throne that he will sit on now. Open your Bibles. Second Samuel chapter two, three, four, and a little bit of five. Yes, that's what I just said. We're going to attempt four chapters today. This is stupid. All right. <laughs> now, last Sunday night, Marie and I sat down and we love to watch Downton Abbey. Any Downton Abbey people here? Or, or any of those series where they just start out. When it was done, I didn't like the show. I said, that was not a good show. For, for, for one thing, they sit up too straight. How can you sit up that straight all the time? But here's, here's where I really want to go. In the first episode, you cast out five to ten different themes that are going to be dealt with over the ensuing episodes. And that's really what I'm seeking to do today. I'm going to open up the next three and a half months for us in the life of David by doing kind of a, a many themes coming out. Now, I do want you to know this. I have a big idea for today. And you'll see bursting out of these chapters the issue of power. The potential and the peril of power, of leadership. Of authority. You're going to see a little bit of it at its best and what it can do, potential. You're especially going to see what happens when power is abused, misused. Now you might say, well, Lon, I don't need that. I'm not a king. I didn't win American Idol. I, I'm not a general. Uh, I'm not someone in authority. We'll, we'll think about it. You probably are more than you know. If you were a parent, you're someone in authority. If you're an older brother or sister, you have some authority. I abused mine a lot as firstborn when I was a little boy with my brother. If you are an employer, you're someone with authority. You have people under your charge. If you're a teacher, my goodness, what kind of authority do you have over young, beautiful minds? If you are a pastor, if you are an executive, wherever you are in life, we can exert authority over others for good or for evil. In fact, power is kind of like atomic energy. When atomic energy is used for good, it's magnificent what it, what it provides. When it's out of control, it's hell. And that's what we're going to see today. Okay? The potential, 
the peril of power. Here we go. Chapter 2. King David. We're going to put a map up for you just before I read some of the text. This will set the scene for you geographically for the next several months. The kingdoms of David. David will start by being king over Judah. You see Judah in the bottom part of the map in the kind of pinkish color. In essence, it's a large state, if you would think of it in comparison with us today. The the state of Judah. Then you see right above it in the green, several names. Benjamin, Ephraim, Jezreel, Asher, Gilead. On the other side of of the river, there's uh, Reuben and Gad. and, And that's all Israel. So you've got Judah, one of the states, and then all the rest of Israel, all the other states. That's where we're settling in. Now, for our story today, look into the pinkish Judah. And at the far north, you see Jerusalem. It's very important that you see where that is, both for today's sermon and the one I'll bring next week when I spend more time on Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be very strategic. However, David starts his leadership 25 miles south in the place called Hebron. That's where he will first become king, or if you will, like governor over that state. All right? To the north, in the green, is where a new king will rise up. The only son of Saul to be still alive. His name is Ishbotheth. Okay, all together, everybody. Ishbotheth. Ishbotheth. Try that five times. I'm just going to call him Ishbi for uh, for our purposes. But you have to understand that that's kind of what's happening here. King Saul has died. Judah is separating from the rest of Israel. David will elevate to become leader over Judah, and Ishbi will become king over all the rest. Chapter 2, here we go, verse 1. In the course of time, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? He didn't even know which one. The Lord said, Go up. David asked, Where should I go? To Hebron, the Lord answered. Now, it's interesting, in these four chapters, you'll see David three different times inquire of the Lord for clear guidance. And he always got that guidance, and he always obeyed it. It's one of the aspects of the spiritual life of David. David loved God uh, way beyond where most of us ever get to. I, I think it had something to do with being a shepherd in the fields those years, stars by night, needing God desperately to protect him and the sheep from lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my! But something happened in those wilderness days when he was a teenager of of him just falling so deeply in love and trusting God so deeply. Now you see him. He's now 30 years old. And he says, God, is it time finally? God had told David he was going to become king when he was 16 or 17 years old. He's now 30. That's how long it's taken. We all know what it's like to have to wait for what we hope for. He says, is it time, Lord? God says, yes. Where should I go, Lord? God says, Hebron. And up he goes. And he will be crowned as the king of the state of Judah. Okay? Now go down with me to verse 8. Meanwhile, Abner, son of Ner, okay? Abner is a general. Abner is a five-star general. Abner is commander of the armies of Israel. Everywhere but Judah, 
He is commander of the armies of Israel. And Abner, the commander of Saul's army, has taken Ishbi, son of Saul, and brought him over to Manhaim, and there he made him king. Abner had the kind of power to be a kingmaker. And he takes the remaining son of Saul and puts him on the throne over all of Israel. Ishbi, Ishbotheth, son of Saul, was 40 years old, verse 10, when he became king over Israel. And he will only reign two years. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. The tribe of Judah, however, was loyal to David. The length of time David was king in Hebron over Judah was seven years and six months. So you see where we're at? There's a vacuum for power. Abner makes Ishbi king over Israel. The Judites, of which David is one, say, we've been waiting for David for a long time. We make him our king. Now, it wasn't equal at all. Judah has about 6,000 soldiers at this time. Israel, that Ishbi controls, has over 300,000. I tell you that because you're going to be surprised at what happens next. Go with me now to verse 12. Abner, the son of Ner, together with all the men of Ishbi, left Menahem, and they went to Gibeon. Joab, here's your next character, son of Zerariah and David's men, met them at the pool of Gibeon. Here's your next name. You've got four key characters this week in these four chapters. You've got David, and his general is Joab. That's his five-star general. You've got Ishbi, and you've got Abner, who is his five-star general. Okay, starting in verse 12, uh, I call this, they met at the peace pool. Peace pool. All right. Joab sat down on one side with his men. And uh, Abner sat on the other side with his men on either side of the pool. Then Abner said, verse 14, hey, let's, let's have fun. Let's just, you know, kind of have a wrestling match. And says, let's get some of the young men up and fight hand to hand in front of us. Joab says, all right, let's do it. Now, you need to know that there's a lot of animosity between these two groups. The people of Judah believed that David had been called to be king over everything. And those that follow Ishbi believed that, of course, it would be a son of Saul that would carry over. That has created tension, but so far... Peace has been held. Now they're at the peace pool. And as in most peace talks, they end up in war. And that's what's going to happen right here. The 12 men from Judah and the 12 men from Israel get up and start wrestling. It gets a little serious. And then each man grabs his opponent, verse 16, by the head, thrusts his dagger into his side. They fall down together so that that place in Gibeon was called Hilkai Hazurim. It's a place of death. Twelve have been absolutely destroyed. And friends, uh, time won't allow us to spend a lot more time in this chapter. But let me just tell you what happens. A civil war breaks out. Because of what happens at the pool of Gibeon. 
and it's going to be horrendous and it's going to last for seven years and people are going to die on both sides. It's going to be brother against brother. It's the north against the south. It's exactly what we know from our own history and it is devastating. It is civil war. Look at chapter 3 verse 1. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long, long time. It was devastating. Now, carry on with me in chapter 3. Chapter 3. The war is going on. Neither side is fully winning. And in chapter 3, verse 6, General Abner, who's he with? Ishbi. The war between the house of Saul and house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position. Verse 6, chapter 3. Strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. And he did that by taking one of Saul's concubines, probably sleeping with her, thus aligning himself with the house of Saul. Ishbi gets word about it. He says, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Abner goes ballistic. And Abner, on a dime, changes his allegiance from Ishbi to David. Why? He's been found out. He had been trying to carve his way into the leadership of all Israel. He's been now called to account on it. It's not going to work. And it's, it's political maneuvering. It is conniving. It is what people of power do when they want more power. And it's evil and it's vile and it's sickening. He actually makes an alliance with David to bring all of Israel to now follow David. Now, will he be satisfied with that? Probably not. But that's where he's starting. And of course, he's thinking, I will be the general over all of Israel. Will that satisfy him? Probably not. If he's trying to bring one king down, why wouldn't he try to bring another king down? This is what power does. Power abused and misused always wants more. Well, that's what he does. And through all of chapter 3, we see that taking place. He's bringing them all over to David's side. Now, look at verse 22 of chapter 3. However... There's another general. What's his name? Joab. Joab is David's general. Starting in verse 22 of chapter 3, Joab starts to catch wind. And in verse 24, he says here, Joab went to the king. He says, what have you done? Abner came to you. Why'd you let him go? He's gone. You know Abner, the son of Ner. He's come to deceive you, observe your movements. He's trying to find out everything you are doing. And what's not mentioned here, and David, Abner killed my brother. He did. When the civil war was raging, one of Joab's brothers relentlessly sought Abner. Abner said, get away from me. I don't want to kill you. He wouldn't. Abner killed him. It's revenge and it's the lust for power that then causes Joab to secretly find Abner like he's his friend because David 
has embraced Abner now. And then Joab murders Abner. Okay? And that takes place in the last half of chapter 3. So, look at what's happening already. The corruption of people with power is trying to create nation states. The corruption of people with power leads to revenge, leads to death. How does David respond to Joab, his general, killing Abner, the other general? Surprisingly, David grieves. And here's what David will always surprise you. Just when you think he's just the general of special forces, he turns on you and becomes a poet and lover of God again. And it's fascinating reading, and I encourage you to do it from verses 28 to 38. When David hears that Abner has been killed, David grieves and he mourns, and he mobilizes a great funeral procession and care for the body, and he calls all of Judah to cry out and say that Abner was a great man. He wasn't a great man. But David honored those that had been a part of Saul's legacy. He wants David's, Saul's family to live, and I think he even wanted Saul's general to live. The funeral procession takes place. All of the men always walk in the front of a funeral procession in all of their armor. David refused to even do that. So while the armies marched in front of Abner's funeral procession, David put on sackcloth and ashes, lamented, and he was in the back of the funeral with his head down, crying and weeping and weeping. Once again, you get an inkling. There's something different about David. He's not all good, by the way. Boy, in these next three and a half months, are you going to see him do some really awful stuff. But in this he was, honoring someone who should not have been murdered. Interesting. Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Now with Abner dead, with Joab on the loose, even David can't control Joab. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, When Ishbosheth, son of Saul, heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost courage, and all Israel became alarmed with him. As goes the leader, so goes the people. And before we know it, chapter 2 we find out that someone else will be murdered. King Ishbosheth will be murdered by two of his own generals. They, like Abner, realize everything's moving toward David here. Get on David's side. They murder their own king, the son of Saul. They take his head, they go to Hebron, and they present it to David knowing that in the, in the culture of the day, they will be rewarded because the king who is your enemy is now dead and we did it. Not in David's eyes. David marches to a different drummer. And when David hears what those two generals of Israel did, he cuts off their hands, he cuts off their feet, and he hangs them from a post dead. Why hands and feet? With their hands, they murdered the king. With their feet, they carried his head to David. David knows if you'd kill one king, you'd kill another one. He knows what loyalty is. 
I remember a friend saying to me once, this was like 40 years ago, he wasn't talking about killing, but he was talking about gossip and what we do with our tongues. And he was a mentor to me. And this one day when I was talking to him, uh, I must have been talking badly about some people. And he, he looked at me, he says, Lon, the way you talk to me about others is the way you will talk about me to others when I'm not here. Murder with the tongue, murder with the sword. We murder either way. Power, jealousy, envy, etc., etc. Well, it goes on. Um, chapter uh, 5 then jumps up at us. And to bring the civil war to the end. And to finally start to bring harmony in the land. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now all the states, tribes of Israel come to David. And they said, we are your flesh and blood. Become our king. And so, chapter 5, verse 4. David was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he would reign over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Incidentally, hold on to those two things. 30 and 33 as we start to think about Jesus, both those numbers are really important, aren't they? Okay. All right. Well, as you can see, I've dropped an awful lot on us in 29 minutes and 16 seconds. I've cast these themes out. It shows you where we're going. Next week, I'll carry on again. I'm going to talk about David taking Jerusalem, which becomes so strategic. Tell you all about Jerusalem next week. And I also have to deal with two other issues. Why David blew it so badly when it came to women and family. Okay? And then we're going to talk about David's love for God. All that will happen next week. But what do we do with what we've read? Civil war. Murder. Jealousy. Etc. 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 Is this any way to begin a nation? Look what power can do. Now, power has great potential. And as you'll see as we go on these next three months, David will rise above the viciousness of power uh, unbridled. And David will build a nation that will build alliances with other nations. And he'll take 6,000 square miles and before he's done in 40 years, the land of Israel will contain over 60,000 square miles. And where there was poverty, there will become prosperity. Because David will be a godly king. And he will use power quite well most of the time. And so when he does, it starts to create a society that no one imagined could ever happen. It's going to be beautiful. A good leader, someone with power who, who leads as a servant can accomplish great good on this earth. And I say that to all of us who are parents. I say that to those of us that are grandparents, co-workers, etc., etc., etc. Power inspired by God the Holy Spirit is a marvelous thing in what it can do for families and societies. The potentials, as you'll see, is great.
but the peril. This is where we're going to end today. The peril of power. God gave the throne to David because he said, In David I have found a man after my own heart and he will become shepherd over my nation. And that nation, God says throughout the whole Old Testament, will be my shining light, a city on a hill. That nation will testify about my goodness to all the world. God's plan was that Israel would be such a shining light of the one true God that through Israel all nations could be saved. But power doesn't always work that way. And what happens, even under David's leadership, is instead of seeing themselves as servants to serve the rest of the world, they will now see themselves as superior. And only their flag will really matter. That's what power can do. It creates a my, my, my idolatry of family, idolatry of nation. And that certainly happens. We're going to see it. The power corrupted two amazing generals in Abner and Joab. The power ends up bringing the murder of a fine young king who was just doing what he thought his dad would want him to do. It would destroy the societies. You see, power Taints, T-A-I-N-T, all who possess it. And for any of us who have any leadership level whatsoever, people say, well, what do you do about it? You just admit that it's there, number one. It's going to taint you. And number two, you have to admit you can't always see when you're tainted. We desperately need others who love us, who believe in us, who will call us to account. I don't know if any of you followed what happened just before Christmas. And i got to end with this. But Pope Francis spoke to all the leaders of the Catholic Church around the world. That's one picking big church, a billion people. And they got cardinals and knights and pawns and bishops and rooks. They got them all. And in his Christmas address to the leaders of the Catholic Church, which is the largest single organization on the planet, he talked to them about the pathology of power. And that they had spiritual amnesia. Alzheimer's, he called it, that they had forgotten God. He called them to account for the terrorism of gossip. He said, you now seek only to obtain, not to give. You have forgotten God. Interesting. It's not just the Catholic Church. Protestant Church has it too. One of the Billy Graham stories I didn't observe but heard was that 20, 30 years ago, Mr. Graham was leading one of his board meetings. He's president, CEO, king. He's everything. Humble guy whenever I was around him. But evidently on this one day, he was exerting power and stepping all over people. 
They took a break from the board meeting. When they came back, there was a great big old 10-gallon hat sitting in front of his chair. And Billy started the meeting by saying, who gave me this hat? What's, the, what's this, a gift? And his friend Grady Wilson, whom he'd grown up with, who knew Billy well, said, well, I just think that because right now you've got such a big head, you ought to have a big hat. <laughs> Put him in his place. We need people that hold us to account. We need to be aware that power will always seek to corrupt. We, we live with the taint if we've been called to lead. People to hold us to account and then pray that God will give us the humility we need so that we become servants rather than superior. There was someone who did. His name was Jesus. David became king at 30. Jesus started his ministry at 30. David reigned for 40 years. David's greater son, Jesus, will reign forever. David reigned in Jerusalem for 33 years. Jesus will die also at, a, at the age of 33. So many similarities. But here's where they end. Jesus never lusted. Jesus was never mean. Jesus never saw himself as superior. Rather, he saw himself as servant, savior of the world. He would die for us all. May God call us to not try to elevate ourselves, but to always elevate him and let him cleanse us of the taint of power. Pray with me now.